Welcome, friends, to episode 60 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is so great to have you here. If you found the link through on Syracuse.com or perhaps on social media, both terrific ways to find us. But don't forget, you can subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Just find Syracuse Sports Podcast. Hit that subscribe button and a new episode will be available to you when they are ready on your time on demand. Our guest today is Liam McHugh of NBC Sports, studio host for the National Hockey League. He is somebody you see on NBC's Sunday night football coverage, Notre Dame football, the upcoming Olympics as well. Liam had a very interesting path to television. He started as a writer at ESPN the magazine when he was here at Syracuse University and eventually evolved into television, into broadcasting, and now gets to work with two of the big heavyweights in Syracuse University broadcasting history, Mike Tirico and Bob Costas at NBC Sports. Liam's right up there with those two and is making his own mark in the broadcasting world. Liam also a former intern of mine back in the day here in Syracuse. Now, before we hear our conversation with Liam, a few thoughts on Syracuse and Louisville. This is a game where Syracuse is fighting for the next game. They're all must-wins at this point for the Syracuse Orange as they are looking to get back to a bowl game, to salvage something from a season a year ago of high expectations to a season this year where things have fallen off track. But last week against Duke, Syracuse looked pretty good. Steve Standard steps at a defensive coordinator. Syracuse wins 49-6, including three turnovers caused by that defense that all equaled touchdowns. And the Orange took a big, deep breath, won a game by 43 points after a wild season so far and coming off a 58-27 loss to Boston College that causes that caused changes on the Syracuse football coaching staff. This game, I think, is going to be completely different than what we saw a week ago. I think this is where the offense, particularly Tommy DeVito, has got to step up. If you look at Louisville's schedule, there's one thing that you find. High-scoring games. This is a team that doesn't particularly have a good defense. They're 103rd in the country in scoring defense, allowing 32 points per game. But they can score and score in bunches. Cunningham, a terrific quarterback, 14 touchdowns, just three interceptions this season, and he throws to two burners. And Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick, who are fifth in the country in yards per completion, 17 yards per play. Both can fly, and both have hit the end zone a lot. Atwell nine times this year, Fitzpatrick six times this year. Javion Hawkins, the freshman sensation at running back, already over 1,000 yards and into the end zone six times and is breaking a lot of freshman records at Louisville. Hassan Hall, the one-time Syracuse target, provides a one-two punch in the running game for Louisville, just under 400 yards, and he's gotten into the end zone four times this season. Louisville likes to sling it. They go for big plays. And Syracuse's offense, I think, is going to have to keep pace in this game. Not that defense can't get some of those ball-hawking abilities in play. And if Andre Sisco in that secondary wants to grab some more interceptions, if Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman want to put some pressure on Fitzpatrick, they are welcome to do so. But this is essentially Tommy DeVito's 12th start at quarterback. He's been in for a full year as the starting quarterback, and this is his moment to shine. This is his moment to show that no matter what the weather is, what the factors of the game are, that he can step up and lead his football team. I'm looking for a shootout in this game. I have predicted Louisville to win this game 38-30, to but I think it's a game where one player or the other could swing the other way in the fourth quarter. And if Syracuse wins, we get a game next week. 
that matters. If they don't, they could get lost in the shuffle considering it's after Thanksgiving and if the game doesn't mean anything, people might fully turn the page to basketball. By beating Duke last week, you kept our attention for one more week. Can the Orange do it again against Louisville is the question. All right, let's bring him in. Liam McHugh of NBC Sports. So Liam, take me back. Now you spent one year at Syracuse University as a grad student, came from UB, you're from Long Island. There's 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 a real regional connection there. You've covered pretty much every corner of the state. So what, what was your path from Long Island to Buffalo to Syracuse? And maybe I'm missing a few cities in between. Uh, yeah, so I was grew up in Long Island, and uh, then uh, I went to the University of Buffalo uh, State University, uh, basically, you know, one of the best schools I could get into at the time, certainly. And I played soccer there badly for a couple of years. Uh, and then was just a regular student. I was uh, not a journalism major, but I worked for the school paper there. And that's what I went into originally. So I went back to Long Island after that. Wrote for New York Newsday as a high school sports reporter, just breaking in. I uh, was working for them. And then also landed a part-time gig at uh, ESPN The Magazine, which at that time was in New York City. And at that time was like phone book thick. Uh, I don't know if people remember. There were these things called magazines. Yes. Everyone read them. They I were vaguely glossy. remember they great this. pictures. They had all these great <laughs> writers and everything. Um, so I worked there and got to work with all these uh, amazing editors and writers. And, uh, you know, I did some research for them, uh, an occasional sidebar to a, a, you know, a feature story. But to me, I, I it didn't feel like you know, anything was really taking off and I knew I wanted to give broadcasting a try. So I wound up going back to school after a couple of years and I went back to Syracuse. So I decided, uh, the weather downstate way too warm, too nice. I <laughs> need to be back where it was gray and cold. And I went to Syracuse and I wound up going there the year after the title. So the year after Carmelo Anthony, uh, basketball team was still great. Uh, football team was still one of those. Let's see if we can be bowl eligible. Uh, but it was a pretty unique time also, uh, because I remember that was the time when the Big East was really starting to break up and, uh, people being angry at Boston college. I remember that, uh, very vividly. And of course, which is funny now in retrospect, because obviously Syracuse winds up joining them in the ACC. Right. Exactly. Um, but I remember there was like, ah, they're leaving us. Like, how could they do that? And, uh, but, uh, it, it was great. I mean, it was one of those places where it was a year to me, like, Syracuse meant something because uh, I knew it would be a place that would get me very much prepared for an entry-level job in broadcasting, which is exactly what I needed because I was not someone who uh, – I needed the reps. I needed to be bad. I needed to go somewhere and be bad. And Syracuse taught me everything I needed to know about broadcasting to get that entry-level job, and I wound up going to Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, a place that was willing to take me in and watch me be bad for a while before I was eventually okay at this. So that's the abbreviated version. And on a bonus, I met my wife in Syracuse. Not only met not only met Brant Axe and got to work with you, but I also met my wife in school there. So now that's a close one two race there. It is. Really it is. close, but we'll get we'll give your lovely bride the advantage on, on that one. <laughs> and you know, that's part of it, Liam. You're you're doing NBC Sports, football, Notre Dame, NFL, hockey. 
and you're so busy, you're traveling a lot, taking on responsibilities, but I know you, you love and cherish your time with your family. So how do you, how do you balance that? How, how does your family, you know, kind of work with you and, and finding that quality time, but also allowing you the time to do what you have to do and prepare for what you do? Yeah, it's a really interesting existence where I am either, I'm not around, like, you know, you go away to the Olympics and that's it, you're out of the country. I mean, and you are far, far away. This is not, you know, a day trip. Like you're, you know, you're in South Korea, you're in Brazil and you're gone for a month. Or I'm around a lot because I will say this, when I have downtime, uh, you know, which sometimes is a summer during a non-Olympic summer, uh, NBC does a nice job of, of pretty much leaving me alone. Uh, I'm not getting a lot of phone calls. I'm not getting a lot of emails. It's sort of like, hey, we've had this guy. We, you know, put him on air for a very long time, consecutive days, time away from his family. Let's leave him alone. So there was this mixture of, uh, you know, I'm around there. I, I think if you're one of my neighbors, suddenly you see me around all the time and you wonder if I'm out of work. And then there are times I'm not around at all and you wonder, have I just disappeared? Um, because we haven't seen that guy in a very long time. So <laughs> I'm, I, I have that and I've learned to balance it a little bit. It's getting a little bit more difficult now that my kids are getting older and they're starting to do sports and things are actually happening on the weekends, like their weekends matter now that they actually know what a weekend is as opposed to everything that happened in the past was yesterday and everything that's going to happen in the future is tomorrow, like most kids believe um they now understand like we have school the weekend's gonna be great we're gonna do this that this that and your know, dad's not there mom's bringing all three kids to where everyone's gotta go so it's a bit of a juggling act but i think what helps at least for us is the fact that my wife wasn't broadcasting you know she wasn't tv she was a news anchor and a reporter uh you know in a few different markets and she understands the lifestyle and she understands, you know, it's nights, it's weekends, it's holidays. And that is, and specific to sports, you know, it's, it, it's always nights, it's always weekends. Um, and the truth is, you know, you want those dates and you want to work on holidays because the biggest games are being played then. You know, we know we're not going out most of the time on New Year's Eve because the Winter Classic's next day. Like, that's a holiday that does not exist in our house. We celebrate other holidays. And we just learned to get around it. And uh, it, it's been an interesting juggling act. But I think you know, too, because you've had me on your radio show. And you're like, what's that background noise? And I'm like, oh, I'm at the playground right now. Right, I'm, yeah. I'm supposedly watching a few children. <laughs> so, yeah. But it's such a balance, as you said. And it's something that you get to do that you love. And it's a message that you can send your kids that, yes, you, you can do something you're passionate about. But it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of preparation. And, and that's what I was curious about, Liam. What are some lessons you took in, in from that when you were here in central New York that you still apply to this day? I mean, I, I think there, there has to be a discipline, uh, you know, and it's, it's probably something I lacked in you know, my, my early years when I started writing and definitely something I lacked in college where, um, you know, you can't do this job well and you certainly can't do it consistently well uh, if you exhaust yourself by, you know, going out, trying to do everything, trying to, uh, you know, you got to cut back on, on socializing. You got to cut back on things. You have to say no to people, which, uh, is not always a lot of fun. You know, you, you don't get to see as many people, uh, you know, research matters, putting in the work matters. And to me, uh, I, I have a strange job now where I do, so I do football mind America and I'm the onsite host. 
And, you know, I talked to Al Michaels a lot, which is one of the cool and surreal perks of this job. Uh, you know, and I can tell you that even more surreal is that I was FaceTiming with my family a few weeks ago. Al Michaels was getting makeup and he says, hey, put me on the phone. And all of a sudden, Al Michaels is FaceTiming with my family. <laughs> which How cool was awesome. is that? But, you know, you're talking to Al and he still says, he's like, you know, all these notes and he takes them meticulously and he's got this beautiful penmanship and it's all written out in a legal pad. And then he tells me, he's like, Oh Liam, he's like, I'll probably use like 10% of this. And what I usually tell him is like, you know, I'm reading a lot of the same notes you are and I'm reading a lot of the same stuff. I was like, and I'm using maybe 1%, you know, it's one of those things where, and I think there are times you question, you're like, each week you get a whole pile of notes every single day and they add up and you're like, ah, I'm probably not going to need this. I wonder if I really do have to read this. They're not always the most, you know, game notes are not, are, are not the most riveting read, but you sit there and you realize like, well, I'm going to be on the air. If Chris Collinsworth brings up something random, I don't want to look at him with a blank stare. There's a lot of people looking at me uh, on TV and knowing full well that it's obvious. I don't know what he's talking about or that if he's in a corner, he can't remember a name, uh, which is, almost never going to happen, but if it's the one time it does happen and I can't help them out, then I haven't done my job, you know? So it's one of those where I think there's a, <laughs> I think there's uh, a fear and a paranoia that at this point drives me. Uh, and I, before where I may have said that I was just being diligent, uh, I now have come to accept the fact that it, it is mainly fear and paranoia. No, I, I know exactly what you're saying there because it, in like doing a radio show every day or preparing some of the other things that I do, yeah, you're not using all of those notes all of the time. But the times that you have to, you feel a relief. You feel an anxiety that whittles down because you did use in some cases, 70% of it, 80% of it. There's times that it calls more. And I think I was reading something from Jay Billis the other day, and he said that by preparing the way he does, it helps him retain it so he can bring it up first thing, top of mind, if that situation arises during a game or during a broadcast. So, you know, the lesson is to to prepare, not over-prepare, but at the same time, the discipline and the process of it, if you don't do it, you, I mean, you almost feel naked going in, into a situation like that. I, I, totally, really, I totally hear what you're saying. You really, I think, I, you know, you're someone who's done this for a long time as well, where I think, like, you know, I think the older you get and you, you, you've come to accept that you need to do this to be good and to feel comfortable, that's a good thing. But there's also this idea that you now know that you can self-edit, which is to say that you've studied it all. You don't need to cram it all in. It doesn't mean because you know it, because you memorized it, that it needs to get on the air. Like if it comes up organically and you can put it on there and it makes sense or if it's informative and or entertaining and you want to get it out there, great. But I think that was different too. I think when you're younger and you learn something, you're like, well, I spent this time learning this. I'm jamming this on the air. You at home are going to hear about it because I took the time to read about it, memorize <laughs> it, and now you get to know this as well, whether it means something or not. And I think as you get older, you realize, all right, maybe at this point it's not that important that I cram this in on the air on a national broadcast. So. Liam, you uh, certainly come across a lot of Syracuse alums in your line of work, uh, if that's on the air or off. But uh, notably in the NBC Sports family, it's it's you, Costas, and Tarico kind of carrying the banner there at NBC. What's been your experience uh, working with those two gentlemen? Well, what a nice thing just to be placed in, in that sentence with those two names. 
and I like that you said you, Casas, and Tariko. Me and those, those, other, <laughs> guys, those other guys. You're number uh, one on that list, baby. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, um, it, you know, I have to say, I mean, one of the coolest moments I ever had uh, was 2012 uh, Summer Olympics, my first Olympics in London. Um, and we are really just – that was the first Olympics that we were going to have NBCSN be a part of the Olympics. You know, it's – which made sense because obviously there are events going on all the time. Can't put them all on NBC. So here we are. We have this other channel. And to start off NBCSN's coverage, uh, Bob Costas came on the air to introduce what was going to happen. NBCSN is going to be a big part of the broadcast. And now to get us going, uh, we go over to Liam McHugh. And like, what a moment, you know, uh, to have Bob bring you on uh, to give you some instant credibility that three seconds prior you did not have uh and bob really has always been that way with me i mean he's a guy who is a legend in this industry he's beyond intelligent he's operating on a whole different level than everyone else uh but he's always been good to me always been kind gracious generous with his time and i think what's also nice is that this is an industry we're all at some level insecure um you know, we want to hear that we're doing a good job. Uh, we're all, you know, wondering if someone is coming along to take our job. Uh, Bob was extremely secure in his position, as he should be, but because of that, he was able to be generous. Um, he was never petty, and uh, I'll, I'll always be grateful to him for that. And, you know, I think Mike Tariq goes right there with him with that regard because I get to really work with Mike now, uh, doing Notre Dame, doing Football Night in America, and, you know, there's a lot of head-to-head. There's, there's times we're in South Bend. I get to, you know, sit down and communicate with him. How are we starting the show? How are you going to bring us on the air before I get to what I have to get to with Chris Sims? And uh, it's collaborative. You know, it's never like, hey, these are the points I'm making. You take the scraps. It's more like, how can we make this a great show? How can we work together? And to have a guy who is, I think now, actively the best broadcaster in sports, uh, Mike Tirico, to, to have him there, to have his depth of knowledge, his insight, to be able to run things by him right before we go on the air. Like, hey, I'm going to say this. I'm a little uneasy. What do you think about it? Is this a good line or not? And he can give me some feedback. Uh, that's priceless. And uh, I'm very lucky, I mean, I have to say, because I've heard some stories along the, along the way of people who have not had those situations and not had those encounters with people who had been at their networks for long times for a long time and had established themselves. They had not been, uh, you know, that easygoing and that affable. But uh, for me, I've definitely been very lucky with those guys. Now, thanks to YouTube, speaking of alums, I came across an interview you did with uh, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. It was at the Sloan Conference a few years ago. And it was interesting because right off the bat, Gary knew you were a Syracuse alum. And, of course, Gary is a Cornell alum. So yes. How have you found connections like that allowing you to maybe have an interview subject, kind of let their guard down, and and tell you things? Because Gary's an interesting person. He's certainly, we see it every year at the Stanley Cup presentation, how he's greeted by no matter what fan base it is. And he's generally seen as an unpopular figure in sports. But, I mean, he's the longest-tenured commissioner in professional sports. You don't get to that point without knowing what you're doing in some way. No, 
and you can look at like the growth of the game during that time. I mean, and it's, it's pretty hard to argue with it. So, uh, you know, like I, I looked at that and I know Gary, it's a strange world where I now know him on a personal basis. And, uh, so it really wasn't that uncomfortable. Um, but what I liked about that was I walked in and, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interview, but we are people that know each other and we are, I mean, we're rights holders for the NHL. So this is not a, you know, this isn't gotcha journalism, but I wanted to ask him tough questions along the way. And I just, you know, massive list of questions that I was going to have. And I, I walk in and we see each other backstage. I'm like, Hey, you know, I just want to talk to you. I do have a few things that I may touch on that I don't want to throw you uh, for a loop. And he was great. He goes, Oh yeah, I don't care. You don't, you don't need to show me. He's like, whatever you want. And I think there is something you said about the fact that, like, he's very comfortable in his own skin, as you see in those moments when he's handing out the Stanley Cup. He doesn't shy away from the reception that he gets there at all. Uh, he's a very intelligent man, and he is prepared for any and all questions you're going to throw at him. But I think in terms of connections, I was surprised. I have to say, I mean, I, I think for me, it was different. I, I You know, I grew up in, uh, you know, I like, I would say working class to middle class town. My dad was a uh, public school teacher. I went to a public school. I then went to uh, State College at Buffalo. Uh, you know, I, I guess what I'm saying is like I didn't grow up in a world of connections at all. You know, it just this wasn't one of those like, oh, don't worry. Like if you mention this person's name, you'll get in here. Or if you mention this person's name, you'll get a job interview. I, I didn't grow up in that life. And I'm not saying that Syracuse has allowed me to experience it completely, but I was surprised that it allowed me to experience it at all. And I've definitely had some doors open because of the Syracuse connection. And I've definitely had some people just say like, oh, like, you know, do you know someone? Did you go to school with this person? Have you uh, crossed paths with this person? And that's something that I had never experienced prior. And I would say Syracuse, uh, while not only did it fully prepare me, uh, to go into the working world, uh, it continues to help me in terms of connections, uh, introductions, and easing some transitions. And uh, that, that's been one of the, the perks that I did not anticipate, but uh, I'm certainly enjoying. Liam, you've had the opportunity to broadcast from Super Bowls, Notre Dame Stadium, often many NFL stadiums, the Stanley Cup Final, and, and great atmospheres in the NHL playoffs, but if I had to put you on the spot and rank the best place you've been able to broadcast from, the moment where you really caught yourself and said, man, I can't believe I'm doing this, what would it be? Uh, you know what? i give you two, and they're pretty much back-to-back. Um, the first is Sochi Olympics, Russia, USA against Russia in hockey. Not for a medal, but Putin in the building and the tension in that air. Uh Goes to overtime, T.J. Oshie puts on the clinic that he put on and goes from, let's be honest, I think hockey people knew who T.J. Oshie was, but he really wasn't even that big of a name in the NHL at that point. He was maybe the last guy to make the USA team and to watch someone overnight become famous. Uh, that was an incredible moment, and a big part of it was just the atmosphere to be in Russia for that game that every single person in Russia had been looking forward to. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, uh, it's hockey again. We did an outdoor game and it was right after we came back, go to Chicago. And it was a big part of it was just being in soldier field, ice on the field, snow coming down, place packed. And I am walking out to the ice by myself to do an open. That was one of those moments where I was like, wow, this, 
This isn't, you know, because you're in the Olympics and it's going, it's going, it's every single day, it's constant. So you don't have a lot of time to think about it or take it in. So you just kind of do it and keep going. That was one of those moments where I sat there, looked up at the crowd. I couldn't believe where I was. I was going to be out there by myself, welcoming everyone into this incredible event. Uh, that was a pitch me moment. And I'm glad that I still, I, I still do take the time every once in a while to look around and, you know, enjoy the fact that I get to do these things. And what was even cooler about that game uh, was that in the first period, I believe, of that game, I saw Sidney Crosby and Jonathan Taves, uh, a whistle blew, and the two of them were in each other's faces, grabbing each other by their shirt collars, when like four or five days ago, they were hugging on the ice <laughs> with the gold medal. Uh, so I'd say those two were, the, were clearly, uh, for me, uh, the best, but I mean, I, I get to be in some incredible places. Nording Stadium's amazing. I did the big house for a uh, Winter Classic. My wife went to Michigan as an undergrad, so that was really cool as well. And I actually did one on an aircraft carrier. I did a basketball game on an aircraft carrier, which no one is going to remember because it was in Jacksonville, and there was too much uh, precipitation in the air. There was a humid day, and there was some condensation on the uh, on the deck, so they had to call the game early. But for the brief time that they actually played the game that was cool i'm sure nbc is not thrilled that i bring that up because it didn't work out well for us so yeah the one time syracuse played on an aircraft carrier that worked out all right <laughs> this yeah this was not the Q's one this was uh, i think ohio state was there florida was there georgetown this, this didn't work out it, was, uh, it, it in theory sounded great uh, in actual life it didn't really go down the way anyone wanted <laughs> Well, Liam, the events that uh, are scheduled and, and go off on time uh, have been great to watch you. It's always fun when my TV comes on on a Sunday or whenever the case may be, and there you are. My daughter looks at me. She goes, I know, Dad. You work with him. But uh, we're proud of you, and it's always great to catch up with you. Keep up the great work, my friend, and uh, we'll definitely do this down the road. But thanks so much for your time today. Uh, you're the best. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to Episode 60 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Please subscribe to make sure you get new podcasts delivered to you wherever you listen. My name is Brent Axe. My thanks to Liam McHugh and to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. This is Brent Axe with your Syracuse Sports Headlines. Syracuse basketball guard Jalen Carey will undergo surgery Friday on his injured right thumb and will likely seek a medical redshirt for the season. Carey would not be expected to return to the court until late January. At that point, Syracuse coach Jim Beheim said the sophomore likely would sit out the rest of the season and seek a medical redshirt. It's an 8-10 to 10 week recovery period, according to Beheim, noted after the Orange's 72-53 win over Cornell Wednesday night. Quote, he will certainly be able to get a medical redshirt out of this too, so it's probably the right thing to do. Another Syracuse football senior has accepted an invitation to play at a postseason all-star game. Defensive end Kendall Coleman will play in the 2020 East-West Shrine game in January, the school announced on Tuesday. Coleman is second on the team with nine tackles for loss and third with four sacks this season. Coleman has piled up 126 total tackles, 25 tackles for loss, 15 and a half sacks in 42 career games for the Orange.
By the standards of her fast-tracked basketball career, Emily Anksler took a long time to work herself into the starting lineup of the Syracuse women's basketball team. And as Lindsey Kramer writes on Syracuse.com, it looks like the journey was worth the wait. Now that she's among the select five, Anksler is showing signs of making her stay there a long one. The sophomore swing player has started all three games for number 17 Syracuse, flashing the versatility that made her one of the top recruits in the country two seasons ago. The Orange will need bloated numbers from Anksler and all her teammates Sunday when number one Oregon visits the Carrier Dome for a 4 p.m. contest televised by the ACC Network. The Ducks are 3-0 and and stocked with perhaps the most talented lineup in the country. The Cornell Big Red and Syracuse Orange men's lacrosse teams will meet for the 108th time on April the 7th, 2020. The game will be played at Shulkoff Field and start at 7.30 p.m. Those details are according to the Big Red, which released its schedule on Thursday. Syracuse still has not announced its full schedule. The Orange beat the Big Red last season 13-8. to With your Syracuse Sports Headlines, I'm Brent Ash.